Leading a school in the middle of an education revolution, I draw upon the wisdom of experts and educational visionaries to identify future realities and gain direction from where we are to where we need to be. Please join me as we identify our final destination and map out a path through the uncharted. Thank you for joining me on Asking for Directions. I am your host, Matt Owsley. Our guest today has been a classroom teacher, instructional coach, and has worked at the district level. She has worked and inspired at nearly every level of education and continues to do so through her writing, speaking, and active social media presence. She is the author of Learner-Centered Innovation and Vice President of Professional Learning at Altitude Learning. I am very excited to welcome Dr. Katie Martin. Thanks, Matt. Super excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. All right. Well, thanks again for, for coming on. Um, I'm going to start with something that I have seen uh, on your website and social media and pretty much anywhere you can find you. Um, and it's something that you state that you are inspired by research. And so if you can tell me about any research that you came across that truly has changed your way of thinking or shaped how you approached education, I would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, thanks. It's something that I, I have, like you're right, I've had it on my website forever. And it just kind of frames the way that I approach, um, approach work. Since the beginning of my um, job as a classroom teacher, I was also going to school. And so I've always been inspired by research in my university and um, classes, but also putting it into practice in my classroom. And I've continued to do that throughout my career and really looked at what um, research is saying about teaching and learning and about um, how professional learning can support educators and always trying to tweak that and make sense of it in my day-to-day -day work. And then I've also tried to research and study my own practices to make sure that we're doing things that, um, that really are making an impact. So the initial piece of research, I think that really um, shifted my thinking was just around social learning theory in Albert Rendura by Glotsky about you know zone of proximal development and really understanding how people learn um, in social communities learn when we do things and in networks rather than just simply being told which makes sense but when you read it and you study it and then see it in practice it really has helped me um, shift my practice and then it's also informed uh, how I design and think about professional learning. And Linda Darling-Hammond is one of my favorite scholars and educators, and she has really shaped my thinking around how we can create professional learning communities in the greatest sense that really are focused on learning and these cycles that really support ongoing practice and implementation. And her research continues to um, just support how we, how we do that work. You had talked about a bunch of different research, but one of the ones that you had stated before, I don't know if you'd consider this research or not, but being a mom and your experience in that role and just watching your own kids go through things, because I know that that's been one of the biggest pieces for me that has shaped who I have become a as an educator. Yeah, I mean, day in and day out, my kids are in fourth and fifth grade and watching them um, learn and what inspires them and motivates them and also frankly seeing how the things that they do in school can also be really frustrating and demoralizing has really also shaped my thinking um, you know as a mom i would see my kids excited and inspired to learn at home and wanting to try new things 
And then I would hear from school that they're not engaged and didn't finish a, a, an assignment. And seeing the type of learning that they were expected to do in school and how disconnected it was from how they learn and operate at home is definitely a form of research that has helped me understand um, how to bring kids interests and strengths and their own passions and questions. As an educator, I always thought that was important, but as a mom, I see it's absolutely foundational to really inspiring kids um, by starting with who they are as an individual. Right, completely. So, so if I could jump from, uh, from this conversation and do a little bit of uh, um, time travel here, uh, back to the beginning of how this year started, um, I was looking at uh, starting a podcast and I had messaged you and I had said that, uh, that uh, this is kind of how the conversation went. I'll get it a little bit wrong, but it was something like this. I'm a school leader, I'm starting a podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, your response to that was something to the effect of, uh, won't it be fun to figure it out? And I won't ever forget that because you didn't even know me, but yet you're supporting me in my, uh, in my efforts to try something new. And to me, that really... Um, speaks to the, the, the support and everything that our teachers need and educators need as they're jumping into something new in a time of insecurity and transition. And so my question is, what do you believe to be the most important ways that leaders can support their teachers' efforts as they try to take risks and make this transition to online or remote learning? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. That it was fun and I was glad you reached out. And I thought, I love to talk to people and learn more. And what a great opportunity to, you know, help you figure it out. I also wanted to learn more about podcasting. And so I was certainly happy to join you on that journey. And, you know, as we think about teachers really stepping into a foreign and scary place for many of them and leaders, um, many of the leaders don't have, I mean, there's some statistic about this, but very few leaders have experience in remote learning and leading remote learning efforts, especially during a global pandemic. The numbers are pretty low. Um, so I think the best thing that any of us can do is to be learners in this moment and to really focus on connecting with people and like the focus of safety and security has to be first and we don't learn or do things well when we're nervous and anxious and stressed. So if leaders are imposing these guidelines on people and mandates and telling them they have to do something that they have never themselves done before, that is not setting people up for success. Coming alongside, asking how people are doing, thinking, you know, helping them think through what they're trying to accomplish for kids, getting really clear on what, what we can get rid of deprioritizing right now is seriously has to be like our number one priority. What are things that we can stop doing so that we can focus on the few things that matter right now? And amidst, amidst this, you know, global pandemic where people are scared and nervous and, and like we talked about the beginning of this, have families at home, are working from home and are struggling to make sense of it all, there are a few things that are really important right now and and we need to really t get clear on what those are so that people can um, focus on those and not focus on you know someone said this morning that they were um trying to to capture lectures of shakespeare so all their kids could hear their hour lecture on shakespeare i don't know that that's the priority right now 
um, in the grand scheme of things. And so we just have to be mindful of what we put on people's plates. Absolutely. The amount of work that we have already done is crazy. And at the same time, I can't say that, that I feel confident in every area that we're doing it correctly, um, but we're really trying. By the time we get this whole thing done, there's going to be some mistakes that I have made or, um, or that uh, I guess a larger group of us has made. But what are some other mistakes that you see people making during this time? Yeah. So one, first of all, Matt, just you acknowledging that I'm going to make mistakes, I think is huge. And teachers need to hear that. Parents need to hear that. And we need to just be open with each other and give ourselves a lot of grace. Um, I think in addition to trying to recreate school online, um, that's kind of the first mistake I'm seeing from people. They're saying, okay, so we had school six hours a day. I need to create six hours of lecture and kids need to be, um, you know, consuming information for six hours a day. And it's just not sustainable one for teachers to create that information. And kids are saying, I can't sit in front of a computer that long. They're at home. It's just, it doesn't translate. They don't have the same structure, the same conditions. Many kids don't have the support and connectivity at home. Um, you know, I think of my own kids, they're in fourth and fifth grade, and it's hard to manage devices between the four of us living in a house and get everyone connected and have Wi-Fi. And we're in a pretty, you know, fairly good situation where we even have devices for kids and not all families have that. So one is not recreating school at home. And two is just giving busy work. Um, there's a lot of like, here's just packets. We want to just make sure that people have all the work. Um, I think my favorite way that I've seen people approach the um, remote learning or just like this emergency situation is to think about what are the outcomes we want kids to be really focused on? How can I provide them opportunities to um, investigate questions that they're interested in, solve problems that matter to them, do a genius hour project or a passion project? Um, those are the types of things that we can help kids focus on right now that are still connected to meaningful outcomes and they're learning a lot, but it might not just, it might not be focused on a lot of content, but much more learning. That kind of goes right along with, uh, with an article that you recently wrote uh, about evolving to meet the needs of the learners at home. And, yeah. um, and are there other parts of that that you wrote that you really believe that, uh, that are key to focus in on right now? I know all of it, um, but uh, in the, for time's sake, yeah. <laughs> if you were going to break it down uh, and maybe share a couple pieces of that or what your thoughts are on those pieces. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I think I mentioned at the beginning, just like basic connection is first. I, if we can't connect with kids and make sure they're safe, there's going to be no learning that goes beyond that. So first and foremost, connecting and building those relationships with kids, helping them feel safe and secure. Um, the other piece is building that learning community. I think that has to come next so that the teacher doesn't have to be the only one, not that they ever were providing the instruction or supporting learners. If you build the community, kids can be connecting with one another. We can provide resources and support so they can learn from experts and mentors online, resources, YouTube, how to, um, you know, podcasts, how-to videos. There's a bunch of different resources that kids can access that don't just have to come from the teacher specifically. So creating the, the community for people to be asking questions and learning from one another, I think is absolutely critical. And then um, 
where the teacher comes in as this activator, we've always known feedback and, um, and coaching and guidance is absolutely critical to learning. And it becomes even more important when you're in a remote situation. If you have clear outcomes, you provide a variety of resources for people to interact with, the teacher can come in as the mentor and the coach. Show me evidence of what you're learning, and then we can provide feedback um, instead of making sure that kids just complete a bunch of different activities. I think if I could see one thing come out of this um, you know, crisis, for me, it would be the shift to doing a bunch of activities for compliance sake to really focusing on the outcomes and what we're, what we're learning as a result. And so showing portfolios and pictures and work that kids have actually done um, to apply their learning rather than just a bunch of worksheets and online curriculum. I get to see this right now from, uh, from two different perspectives. One, trying to lead my teachers to, be, to do some of these things. But I think the area that I'm the biggest learner right now is, is a dad watching mm -hmm. both of my boys go through um, kind of different situations. One's in middle school and the other one's in third grade. Um, and the thing that I've seen that has made the biggest difference is what you were talking about with that feedback. Um, my third grader's uh, teacher gives all of this like really specific individual feedback to him and even recorded a little video saying, you know, thank you so much for all of your work last week. And you are the, uh, you're my student of the week. Now I'm sure she probably sent that to more than just him, but it made him light up. Um, he was running around the house telling everybody that he was the student of the week, but it was really so that personal cool. connection that, you know, that I think made the biggest difference. So I definitely see what you're talking about with the importance of feedback. Yeah, and you know, Matt, as you're saying that, I think it's, it's amazing. And it's those little gestures that make us care and want to do work and, and feel, um, feel valued. I can hear a lot of teachers say, but I don't have time to do that. And I get it. I don't have time to give all this feedback. There's so much work. Um, one of the things that my son has said often, and it's online or in person, is that it feels so much better to do work that people are going to see and that, that matters to him rather than what he calls trash can work. And so especially now where our time is limited, our energy is limited, that's what I mean by deprioritizing. If it's work that you don't want to give feedback on or work that doesn't really matter for a purpose, we shouldn't be giving it to kids. If you're not going to look at it and really um, talk to kids about their growth and progress, why even bother assigning it? Let's really think about doing less and providing more guidance and support on things that really matter the most. One of the things that you had said uh, a couple minutes ago was just about how there's a possibility, and you actually wrote about this recently, where you talked about that necessity is the mother of invention. Can you elaborate on what this means and like how we might come out of the other side of this better than we were when we entered it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's also, so in the same vein of necessity as the mother of, of invention, it's also to innovate, we have to disrupt our routine, right? And so I think both of those that we now have to use technology in ways that many teachers have not wanted to try because they haven't had to. And now they're seeing how to connect with kids and how many resources um, are available to kids if we really open up um, 
the, the world through technology to them. So I think that we're going to see um, an awareness there. And because um, more people are disrupting their, their routine and having to decide what is the most important, I think we will see a lot less busy work, a lot less standardization. If we start to say, oh, my kids can learn on their own, we they can, um, you know, have fun and struggling through things at home because I am not there to walk them step by step through the process. Kids had to figure things out. They had to ask other people. And so when we come back together, um, you know, hopefully in the fall in our classrooms, I think we're going to see a lot more focus on community and relationships and appreciation for being together. And when we are together, focusing on um, truly learning instead of just, you know, hurrying kids through the curriculum. That is my, my truly my greatest hope. And I think that there's a great opportunity to see that. The other thing that I think will force that is that we don't have standardized tests this year, right? We don't, our poor seniors, um, who my heart breaks for, don't have GPAs that are going to, you know, be the same as they have been in current years because of this um, lack of school right now. There's always going to be this kind of like 2020 asterisk. Um, and so I think that we have an opportunity also to shift our focus away from doing everything for a standardized test and covering the curriculum for that, that we can really think about how we focus on our more, our learning goals that are more focused on the whole child to include critical thinking and problem solving and creativity and our social emotional health um, in addition to content knowledge. And, and I get to see that um, in the whole idea that connection is so important in this and um, is like as soon as this happened and uh, you know people were kind of tired, it was uh, middle of March and um, it was time for our spring break. So you know spring break was gonna come at the perfect time and suddenly we shut down. And next thing you know, my teachers are, um, are messaging me and emailing me and saying how much they miss their kids. And, um, and uh, I mean, and that was during their spring break. They were going to not see them anyway. Um, but they yeah. already were hating the fact that, uh, that they weren't going to get that opportunity. And especially when in Arizona they decided to shut down schools for the year. Um, I mean, the amount of teachers that were contacting me about how hard that was emotionally for them not to see their kids was uh, it, it, it seemed like every person in the whole school suddenly was having a hard time with that. So Yeah, I mean, my own children, when I told them, I admittedly didn't break the news very delicately. And I said, oh, it looks like school is closed for the rest of the year, because I had already been thinking it was. And my daughter just broke down in tears. And it was, you know, for some, you know, when you think, oh, the kids don't care about school, but they do. It is, it is a place where they see their friends and community and enjoy getting to learn new things and have stability and structure. And um, I think, yeah, I just think we're going to appreciate that a lot more next year. Yeah, I hope so. Well, and that kind of goes to something that, um, that I don't think a lot of people outside of education understand. And that is when we talk about like the real purpose of school and preparing kids and um, even though the academic skills and things like that that we pass off to them are important, especially for those kids that are looking to have some kind of a, a more academic track in life. Um, but it's all of those other pieces, the, the recess time and the, um, the collaboration 
um, and those other things that build those skills and are really a healthy part of, uh, of a kid's life and, uh, and their development. And that part suddenly is going away. And I think right now we're trying to focus on how do we cover maybe some of this content and yeah. really what the kids are missing is that, is that really important piece uh, that, you know, that I think they've always needed. But I'm, I'm glad to see that it's coming uh, to the forefront of at least people's minds. And um, I hope, I, like you're saying, I hope it does, uh, does stay and, um, and that that well, continues to be on people's minds. Yeah. And Matt, you know, as you're talking about this, I'm re reminded like the skills that I often share that the World Economic Forum highlights are critical for workers in 2020, which is now. And the top skills are like um, adaptability, flexibility, emotional intelligence. You know, it's not a, you know, 3.7 GPA or like mastered chemistry. And, and those are the skills that I think our kids are developing right now and in, in having to work on is that ability to, to be adaptive and flexible and also learning their how to use executive functioning skills like goal setting and managing their work. Um, I've heard from more people that kids are just struggling to figure out how to organize themselves. That's a huge skill. If kids come out of this understanding how to organize their own work and, and be self-starters, I think we're going to get a lot further, faster next year. Right. Absolutely. So some people uh, have used a lot more technology in the past or maybe have taught this, you know, closer to this way. Um, but some teachers are overwhelmed in the current place that we're in. If you can just give one more piece on this, and then we'll we'll go to a different subject. But how should school leaders help lead through this to to help to not overwhelm their teachers? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you as you say, teachers are in such different places. So are so many of our kids. You know, they have different home environments. They have different access, and you know, we are going to see just the inequity that exists in um, in so many of our households, and the um, you know, the damage, not damage, but the challenge that a lot of kids are facing. So what school leaders, teachers, everybody, I think we just need to meet people where they are. And, and, and we have to be much more flexible in um, our expectations and what we, um, our mandates, you know, what we expect people to do because we just don't know what they're facing. So I would just encourage anybody who has the title of leader or is um, in charge of other people to really get to understand their situation, to empower them to do what they need um, instead of coming down with mandates that are one size fits all. What if I've learned anything in the last three weeks is that everybody is in such different places and one size fits all has never worked. And it certainly is not a way to approach our current situation. I'm sure you've listened to all of my podcasts. I'm just joking. Um, but uh, I, had, uh, <laughs> um, I had interviewed uh, George Kuros and, and a few other really big names Who? in this. And George? <laughs> Just oh kidding. yeah, the the one guy that you guys I think uh, like retweet each other's tweets like every time. So, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I had talked to all of these really big names that all seem to be saying the same thing. We are uh, differentiating to such a large degree for our kids, and to continue to do that for the adults as well. 
And so, um, and I think I struggle some because I, there are a lot of parts that I want to make sure that we are unified in and yeah. trying to be unified and also allow for some differentiation. I feel like there are some things that I have to really hold people to. In can I, Matt, can I push you on? So when I'm joking, I, I have a ton of respect for George. He's a very good friend of mine. Oh, I know. I knew you were joking on that. Learn a lot. Um, I'm curious. I know this is your podcast, but yeah. I'm curious when you say there's certain things that you want to have, you know, same. What, can you give me an example of like what, from a school leader perspective, what you're thinking of why it's hard to differentiate? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess there's kind of a, a couple parts to that. Um, it's hard for me to read the research where it says that uh, relationships are important. And for me not to say that as a school, we're going to have these certain processes that are across the board, such as, you know, we had a process where every kid at the beginning of the day, when they're going into a classroom, the teacher meets them at the door, and that was going to be something that we set. And so saying that I wasn't going to have that and people can kind of choose um, that's fine and all until your kid has the one teacher who isn't doing that. And so I feel like that I know that I'm supposed to, I've also read all of that, all of those, uh, writings that say, don't make your decisions based off of your worst people. Um, <laughs> but having like even my own kids, when I watch, uh, their teachers do things from time to time that I don't agree with, I wish that someone held them to something. Because um, I see how much those things mean. So um, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm saying that wrong right now. I wasn't ready for these trick questions you're throwing No, out. it's perfect. <laughs> the reason I ask, and, and I love that, and of course you have to pick something that I think, of course you should mandate that. That's, a, that's, that's so important. But, um, and if you read the research, it's obviously really important to greet kids at the door. But here's a way I think that I might reframe it. So when we talk about differentiation, a lot of people think that is like, the teacher or the leader has to do a lot of work to differentiate for every single person, right? It's like, as Katie Novak would say, that's like a short order cook, right? You're always right. the one doing the work. And when I think about making things personal or learner centered, for me, that is much more about the learner taking ownership of the work. So as a leader, the way that I would think about reframing that is relationships are super important. They are critical. The outcome is that every kid will have an adult that greets them every day. And, you know, I want you to make a personal connection with your students. One great way to do that is to meet them at the door because that's very important. Another way to do that is to walk around and check in on each kid through the, you know, through um, the first five minutes of class when they're doing some heads down work or whatever it is. There's, three or four or five different ways that you might connect with each kid, you get to choose what works best for you, but that's an expectation at this school. And then, like you said, if there's two or three people who don't do it, then you can go and work with them and coach them and help them instead of making that mandate for everybody who can do it in a way that makes sense for their class and their context. Right. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that I have found as I'm trying to learn from, uh, from smarter people than me, which is a lot, it, you know, the things that I hear like this, it's, is a lot of reflection on my part in, uh, in trying to, uh, trying to grow myself. And that's just one of the areas, I guess that's one of my, one of my pieces I'm going to have to no. continue to work on. 
Well, I think, I think we all are, but we, the reason I, I said that as an example is because it's the same thing that for teachers, they can say these kids need to know how to write a five paragraph essay, right? And I was an English teacher. That's always something that comes up. Right. Um, okay. Do they actually need to write a five paragraph essay or do they need to learn how to construct an argument and um, communicate their ideas? So getting clear on what that outcome is and being really focused on holding tight to the outcome, but the process then can be varied for the learner. And I think too often what we do is we aren't really clear on what the outcome is, but we mandate and structure the process so tightly. So people end up doing a bunch of activities without really understanding what the end goal is or actually ever achieving the end goal. But we have a clear process of, kids doing a five paragraph essay and checking the box. Right. Oh, I agree. <clears throat> now I, I still have to work on that though. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Uh, if I could jump to, uh, jump to something else you had said, I picked so much stuff up from, uh, from what you post, especially on Twitter and all the things that you post through there. Glad so. to know that someone out there is reading it and that it's helpful. <laughs> well, I do. I appreciate it. So, so something that you had actually posted on Twitter um, that I loved, and I would like to hear your answer from this. And you kind of have said bits and pieces of it during this conversation, but uh, something you had said, I'm just going to go ahead and read it if I can. Educators are working harder than ever. The tendency can be to keep adding more. What if instead we thought about what we could stop doing or what we might be able to do differently to achieve our desired goals? Um, and then you ask, what are your thoughts? And so you kind of said before about there are some things that we can stop doing or there are some things that we can do differently. And, um, and, and I think that we all can agree on that, but just wondering if there's any other pieces that you haven't spoke to yet that you believe that we need to change or that we need to do differently rather than more or, or things we can take off of our plate. I kind of threw a bunch at you right there. Sorry. Yeah. No, um, I'm trying to think if there's what to highlight that I maybe have not said. Um, I, I think really right now, the expectation to cover it all. I've heard a lot of teachers like, but they're not going to get the whole unit or, um, you know, they're going to miss out on this really exciting book or novel that we're used to covering. And so it's, it's getting over the fact that we are not going to be able to cover it all and and really focusing on the key pieces that are the most important um and and again back to like back to what is the focus of the learning not the content that you're trying to cover but what is it that you actually want kids to know and be able to do and make that the focus and get over the fact that if i didn't see them do it it didn't happen and that is something that we do a lot as leaders Teachers, if we didn't see someone complete it, whether it's the worksheet or coming to class and being part of the discussion, or they didn't hear you give the lecture that you've got given every year, then they didn't actually learn it. We have to get over that assumption that that is how people learn and instead focus on what evidence can they provide to us that they actually learned something. So if there was one thing, if you're going to kind of just say like next steps here, if there's one thing that you in speaking to school leaders that would be listening to this, is there one actionable step that you would say, if you do this tonight, it will have the biggest impact 
um, what would that next step be? Gosh, um, I think I always go back to listen to your community. If you're a leader and you haven't checked in with your teachers and your parents and your students, start there. Start with the people you're serving, figure out what their experience is, and they will have more suggestions than I could ever give about how to improve and take the next step. Thank you. So if I can just, uh, if I can end by asking you this question, because you're a really busy person. Um, I said earlier that you post all of these things on social media. Anybody that follows you, um, I don't know how you put out as much content as you do, um, but you put out a lot. And so I, I'm sure you have a hundred different things that you're currently working on, but what are you currently in the, in the place that you're at right now? What, what's kind of the big thing that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, um, I'm looking at the multiple tabs I have open. Um, <laughs> two big things. I, I am trying to work on a book that is much more um, concrete in terms of like some, some strategies and resources to make the key shifts that I think are critical prior to COVID um, pandemic. Um, so, but I think currently that's on hold a little bit as I am just really trying to be a resource in this moment for people, um, you know, through my company around altitude learning, where we're like supporting um, educators, but just globally trying to help people um, make the make the most out of this time and come through it as um, whole and connected as possible. So I've been writing a lot of blogs, as you said, and I've been trying to work on some resources that um, can help educators think about how to plan their um, experiences remotely in whatever whatever that means for their own context. And that goes right back to the beginning of this conversation where I said, you know, talked about how you were willing to help me out and always thinking about other people. And, um, and I really think that those connections, even from somebody in your uh, in, you know, I'm as a school leader, I have people face to face all the time that I'm dealing with. And you're able to do that to such a big audience. And I so appreciate that. Because I think we do need that at this time. So I just thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And, um, and I really appreciate all of the time that you took with me today. Um, I know, in the job you just now named, you have a bunch that you have to do, including probably helping your two kids uh, yes. uh, complete whatever they have to complete today. So I appreciate you taking time out with me. Likewise. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate all you do for your community and, um, and sharing. And I, you're just modeling being a learner, I think is so powerful. And so I'm really grateful just to have leaders like you in my network that I get to learn from. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And, uh, and good luck on your next steps. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on Asking for Directions. And a special thank you to all you educators out there that are doing the hard work every day. You truly make a difference, and I am blessed to be on this journey with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you are notified when a new episode is posted, and rate and review this podcast, and please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for joining me.